0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Jennifer Stewart, proprietor of Bread and Banjo Bakery, an artisan bakery specializing in continental and American-style pastries and baked goods. Jennifer, hello. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. Um, now, normally we charge headlong into the subject of leadership. However, considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I'd like to address how this has affected uh, business in general, specifically yours. Um, what sort of effect has this had on your operation?
1: Uh, well, actually, it's had a very positive effect on our on our small business. Um, really? Yeah. So it's been really good for us. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And how so? How is this how has this uh, affected you positively?
1: Well, um well of course in the beginning, you know, when um the recommendation was for everyone to stay at home, we panicked a little bit because we are an artisan bakery and um everything we make we need to sell right away. So um the first you know show of a downfall, which was just one day, we decided or I decided to um um change the way we do business and I decided we we're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. So um for the first two weeks following the initial shutdown we did, we delivered and we were flat out busy. And we had calls far and wide. And not only were we were busy with um phone orders, people didn't stop coming to the bakery. So right. my guess is the reason why we got busier is people weren't going to work any longer. People were still get, uh, earning an income of some sort, and they had time on their hands. And I guess, um, you know, we are right up the street from a Tesco or right next door to, um, well, we're not next door to ring Grocers any longer. But, you know, people were looking at those shops as essentials so they could go out and you know, do their shopping. And, you know, people were available, and they just started coming to the bakery to get fresh bread.
0: Now, of course, uh, it's fantastic that you've had this upswing in business, but how are you able uh, to keep uh, your patrons and your staff safe? What sort of measures have you put in place?
1: Right. Well, um, I was lucky enough to have everybody who is working for me, and there's only eight of us, um, they were all willing to continue to come to work. And we all felt safe enough just because, well, if everybody in the city is supposed to be self-isolating, then... Um, it seems like the risk was minimal to them. And as long as we all stayed healthy, we figured we're good to to continue to operate. Mm. So so as far as the staff were concerned, yeah, we were still good to keep operating. Um, What we decided to do is um, we didn't want to let our patients into the shop any longer. So what I did was um, I hired a carpenter to come. He cut our wooden door in half. We put up a perspex shield and we put a little um, ledge on the door so we could just open the top half of the door uh, so we could talk to our customers, even though there was a perspex shield there. Mm -hmm. And um, we just took the orders from the door.
0: Now, uh, that's a a very inventive way. Of course, uh, we're seeing quite a lot of uh, development and uh, adaptation uh, during this period. Do you believe that you are going to continue the delivery service when the COVID-19 outbreak has concluded.
1: Well, I should have clarified. We only the delivery service for two weeks because we had so much business we couldn't deal with it anymore. Mm. I mean, what I was thinking when we decided to do deliveries is people wouldn't be coming to the shop, and so I thought, well, this may be the only way we can sell our you know our produce is by taking it out to people. But people didn't stop coming, so that's why we were so busy. We still, had we had a line down the block of people coming to the shop. Plus the phone was ringing off the hook. I mean, I had two phone lines going. I had two girls working to bag everything up. And, you know, and then I had a delivery driver taking stuff out. Um, so we had to stop. After two weeks, we, we just stopped it.
0: And have you had any difficulty uh, getting a hold of the raw materials you need?
1: It hasn't been too bad, actually. And there's been a few things um that have been difficult to get, but for the most part, you know, we've never, no, I mean, if you walked into a Tesco or Sainsbury's, I noticed that the flower, you know, shelves were, were pretty bare. We haven't had a, an issue getting any of our flowers in. So there are a few things now that, um, that we're not getting things like jam, things you wouldn't think that would be a problem, but, mm-hmm. um, for the most part, we we can get everything we need. Well, we and should... if I can't get it from my suppliers, I just, you know, I, I go to
0: Tesco and grab it. <laughs> Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Somebody who can uh, inspire and motivate people to do what that lead wants them to do. Uh, someone who can invoke confidence and... Um, uh. Yeah, someone who can just show people the way or show how they should be done, and um, yeah, motivate them and make them feel safe.
0: And how do you achieve that with your staff? How do you motivate them? What's your uh, leadership style?
1: Well, yeah, I see. i I never really considered myself a leader, but um, after I got your email, I thought about it and I thought, leader, leader. Well, I do own my own business and I do have a crew of eight, so I do have to lead them. And, um, I realize my style of leadership is, I guess I lead by example. Mm. You know, I, I'm a hard worker and I don't just run a business. I work in the business. So, you know, I'm the baker, I'm the pastry chef, I'm the barista and I'm the manager. You know, I know how to do every aspect of that business. It's
0: quite a lot of hats.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm a, a very hard worker. So, I believe that if my employees look at me and and see how I'm working or see how hard I'm working, then they know that, well, that's where the bar has been set and that's where I want everybody else to be working. And for the most part, it works. You know, I mean, yes, you always, there's always bumps in the road, but that, that would be my, um, my style of leadership is I lead by example.
0: And where did this model come from? Where did this work ethic come from? Did you have a particular role model who shaped you in this way?
1: I don't know. I would probably have to say it was my parents. You know, both my parents worked Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, You know, my mom worked for a car rental company. My dad was a pilot. You know, I don't know. I I suppose, you know, I do have a really good strong work ethic and I actually really enjoy working and I've always, always wanted to have my own business. Mm. Well, not always, but since I was probably about 25, I wanted to have my own business and and that's You know, I wasn't a baker, and I didn't necessarily want a bakery. I just
0: wanted a business,
1: and one that I thought that would work. And um, so, yeah, I've just been a really hard worker.
0: Now, how do you uh, pass this on to the staff? Do you have any sort of mentorship opportunities within your uh, bakery, or uh, do you all just kind of operate on the same footing?
1: Well, I try to have everybody operate sort of on the same footing. I mean, I do have – a head baker and um, um I'd like to have everybody cross trained and to me that sort of makes the job it makes the job more challenging because it makes it a little bit more difficult. But you can come in and one day you could be working upstairs with yeasted doughs and sourdoughs and then the next day you could be downstairs, you know, making decorating birthday cakes and, you know, making scones and soda breads. So I, I, you know, I kind of give everybody an opportunity to be cross-trained in both kitchens, and um, they work two shifts up and two shifts down. So, so again, if if you know I'm short, you know a, a person upstairs, everybody, you know, everyone's trained and they can, you know, step in to any, you know, any position, just about.
0: Fantastic. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Bread and Banjo?
1: Well, I hope it's looking good. I mean, if it continues on the way it has been, um, we should be doing really well. I mean, because uh, another reason why we've gotten so popular is because um, I have a small company who manages our social media outlets. And people have been sitting at home bored, So they're looking at social media and they're see what we put up mm.
2: you
1: know? so we've got a lot of new um, customers which is great so I just hope that continues on and um,
0: well I'd yeah, like to wish you and the me. entire team best of luck and love to have you back on the show when things get back to normal to see how everything compares Jennifer it's been a pleasure
1: thank you Matthew.
0: that was Thanks Jennifer enough. Stewart proprietor of Bread and Banjo Bakery and now if you haven't heard it before is my exclusive interview with our chairman Lord Plunkett.
2: Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to. But we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery Whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce, and I think that will have to be sustained for some time.
0: Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak?
2: I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local And the US, and to some extent to the Scandinavian countries, have a very different uh, history and and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and consent Mm. that's required. Uh, Those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why